Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Manish Rath. I'm Manish Rath here at the law firm Keller & Heckman, and I'm coming to you from uh, Keller & Heckman's offices here in Washington, D.C. And I think we've picked a really great topic today. It relates to the uh, updates uh, that have taken place recently uh, in the field of the record-keeping rule, specifically OSHA's Improved Tracking of Workplace Injuries and Illnesses rule that came out uh, published a couple of years ago. So as I said before, I'm Monish Raff, and for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, the OSHA 3030 is a program that we do every 30 days. We try and cover a developmental area of OSHA law in about 30 minutes, thus the title. We've been doing this for over five years. We're working on completing our sixth year, so well over 60 episodes of the OSHA 3030 under our belt so far. And I've been doing this in collaboration with the uh, rich uh, bench of OSHA attorneys on our team here at Keller & Heckman, folks like Larry Halperin, Javanay Nakumaram, Peter Dela Cruz, names that everyone in the safety and health law field know very well by now, and one of the deans of OSHA law anywhere in the country, whom I'm joined by today, and uh, somebody who's been doing this for several decades, somebody who has uh, been successful at defenses in some of the largest contest, uh, citation contest cases in state plan states as well as in the federal system, as well as uh, having helped steer the agency through proper rulemaking on some of the landmark rules that we all live by today. David Sarvati, thank you very much for joining me today at the OSHA 3030. Hi, Monish. It's good to be here. Well, David, as I said, I think we have a great topic. Uh, all of the times that we've done the OSHA 3030 over the past five and a half years, as you know, have been libraried on our website at khlaw.com slash OSHA3030. That's khlaw.com slash OSHA3030. And you'll find over 60 episodes of prior OSHA 3030s, many of which are still extremely helpful to safety and health professionals in-house counsel uh, who are responsible for OSHA law. And so I encourage anyone listening today to check them out and see if there's any other topics of interest. And uh, they're self-executing. You can just play them on your desktop. The sound and the slides will self-execute. So that's a great library of uh, information in the field of OSHA law. The other thing I'd say is those of you, when you get your invitation to the next OSHA 3030 by email, the only admission fee that we ask, the only registration fee that we ask for is that when you get that email, Forward it on to three others that you know. Many of you have been doing that already for years, and for that, I'm very thankful. Please forward it on to three more. And for those of you who haven't yet, please find three people who are in-house counsel or safety and health professionals in the field of OSHA that you think could benefit from this uh, program, either at your organization or at organizations within your industry, because the, the new uh, members of our OSHA 3030 community are the lifeblood of the program, and so we're counting on you to spread the good word. So with that said, let's get into what we're going to talk about today, David. I think first we ought to, what we ought to do is uh, provide an overview to, to the members of the OSHA 3030 community of the OSHA injury and illness electronic record uh, keeping or reporting rule that was published in 2016, just to make sure everyone's caught up to speed. Then I think we ought to discuss some of the recent developments, including uh, OSHA's new enforcement memorandum that just came out and how this intersects with the uh, promulgation of state plan equivalent rules at the state plan states, and uh, then finally, how OSHA has hinted at 
what it has in mind for this rule in the future as uh, identified in its flexible regulatory agenda. These days they call it the regulatory agenda that they published in the spring of 2018 as it relates to the record-keeping rule. Finally, as we always do, we will end up with a brief discussion, uh, practical discussion of takeaway items for you uh, that you can employ in your workplaces as a consequence of these developments. So, so we'll talk about what employers should do. So with that said, let's just start with an overview of this electronic publishing or uploading of record-keeping uh, data. Well, it started in middle of 2016 when OSHA published its final rule for uh, electronic publication or electronic uploading of injury and illness data, the kind of data that's normally found on your OSHA Form 300. And they published that in 2016. And essentially what it said was employers now, a specific subset of employers now have to take the OSHA 300 data and upload it to OSHA's portal. And uh, they hinted at that time that they would publish this data for anyone to see, uh, whereas historically the OSHA 300 form was considered confidential and was something that employers had to keep in their record keeping and was available to the OSHA compliance safety and health officers should they conduct an investigation or request production of those documents. But now OSHA said once you upload this data electronically, it's something that we intend to publish uh, on a publicly available website and anyone can use it, unions, employees, job applicants, uh, academicians could all avail themselves of this data and make whatever they will. Uh, so that's the content of the 2016 publication. Um, I will say that since at least going back as far as 2014, we've done over a half dozen, at least a half dozen episodes of the OSHA 3030 on varying aspects of the record keeping rule. Several of them were specifically about this question, the electronic uploading of record keeping data. And so here are some of the dates that you can find in our library if you wanted to zone in on more on this subject. Uh, September 24th of 2014, February 25th and August 26th of 2015, and three dates in uh, since then, May 17 and December 7th in 2016, and October 25th of 2017. I'll also say, David, for the past several years we've been republishing this as a podcast. So you don't have to be tied to your desktop to catch the OSHA 3030. Uh, those programs are also available as a podcast. So that's the overview of the rule. Remember that I said that this only applied to a subset of all employers, that, that when you look at all of the employers who are obliged under Section 1904 to keep injury and illness record-keeping data in the form of a OSHA Form 300 and 300A and 301, a subset of those employees would have been required to upload it electronically to OSHA's data portal. Those would have been two categories, establishments over 250 or more employees at any time during the year, and then a second category of employees, establishments with 49 to 250 employees that are in high hazard industries. So let's talk about the first group first. Any establishment with 250 or more employees at any time during the prior year has to electronically upload data from their Form 300 uh, and their 300A information annually. So what they have to do is their 300A information has to be uploaded, and they also have to submit information from their 300 uh, and 301 annually if they're in that large category, 250 or more employees. And what they did in order to roll out this new rule is they essentially staggered the deadlines as the years go on. 
uh, in the first year for 2016 data. Employers fitting this category had until the end of 2017 to upload their data. And then for 2017 data, employers have until July 1 of this year, so about a month from now. And after that, for 2018 data onward, starting in 2019, the deadline will always be March 2 of the following year. Well, I said one, one of the important points we should make about this is that this applies to the establishment and not to the employer. Right. So you might be an employer with more than 250 employees, but only those establishments that you operate, that is those separate locations that you operate that have more than 250 employees, I should say 250 or more, are required uh, in that category. The same thing would be true for the smaller employers, that it's an establishment site-by-site -site requirement, not a requirement for the entire company. Yeah, that's a great point, David. And, you know, uh, I think one of the first things employers need to do is take a very studied look at how they define their establishments. Uh, OSHA has issued some interpretation guidance on that question, and sometimes you have two different establishments that may be adjacent, and if they are completely uh, adjacent to each other, they may uh, be considered one establishment if it's in the employer's best interest. They may be completely separate with separate entrances on two different roads, uh, even though they share a common borderline, uh, boundary line, in which case they may be separated as two different establishments. This may make an impact on whether or not 250 per establishment is triggered when you combine or separate those two. And sometimes, David, you and I have worked with a lot of companies that have something that they treat as one facility, but OSHA would treat as two different ones because they may be just down the road from each other. They may be a receiving warehouse uh, and then way down the road, maybe a half mile, there may be a distribution or sorting facility. Or, or a manufacturing facility next, next to a distribution center. Right. A lot of companies have those kinds of arrangements, Monish. It's right. really a case-by-case -case question. Yeah, that's right. And it's really important for you to take a very careful look at this question to figure out where you need to define the establishments before you commit to compliance with the rule. So now let's talk about the next smaller category of employers, those with 20 to 249 employees at any time. I think I accidentally said 49 before. So it's 20 to 249 employees at any time during the prior year who are also engaged in a high hazard industry. And that is a, a term of art that's specific to the record-keeping rule. There are other uses of the expression high hazard industry in other aspects of OSHA law. Uh, here, we mean a defined list that OSHA has published of what constitutes a high hazard industry for the purposes of having to upload data from the Form 300A uh, on an annual basis to the electronic portal. Uh, I'll give you a highlight. Many times, though, clients call me and David call anyone on our team and ask us, hey, uh, this is our company, this is what we do, or are we on this high hazard list? Uh, but I think that that's a very individualized assessment. And so we ought to take those offline afterwards. We're always happy to take those calls or emails. Real quickly, though, some of the big categories is anyone in manufacturing, anyone in construction, wholesale trades, utilities of any kind, agriculture, forestry, fishing. Uh, the one of the interesting ones, though, includes, uh, I'll talk about three more, retail. Lots of retail establishments would be in the high hazard industries, including furniture stores, grocery stores, department stores. I thought those were interesting. Uh, the other one I thought was interesting and not at all surprising is healthcare, hospitals, nursing homes, et cetera, fit under the high hazard industries. And another group that I'll bring to your attention is transportation, all aspects, uh, including water, air, and ground, but, uh, but 
close to my heart, I would also say amongst ground passenger transportation, charter bus industry, taxi and limousine, uh, and various other aspects of ground transportation are covered as high hazard industries for the purpose of this rule. Uh, that's just a real quick skimming. I didn't cover by any means everything on the list. It's a right. long list. Monish, if, if people want to check their NIA, NAICS codes, and this applies to the establishment. So if your establishment is in one of the covered NAICS uh, uh, categories, you can go on OSHA's website, look for NAICS codes for electronic submission, and that will show you the list of uh, categories of the national um, system that is used to categorize uh, employment uh, facilities. And bear in mind that the same physical location having two different establishments may have different NAICS codes. So yeah. one, one part of the uh, facility could be covered and one could not. Uh, so it is definitely something should, people should take a close look at. That's a really good point. And you might have people who would otherwise be in two different NAIC codes, NAICS codes, but because they're in one establishment, you look at the NAICS code that describes the economically predominant activity. Right. We've covered this in a prior OSHA 3030. Yeah, I think, Monish, the, what I tell people when they ask, how, did I, how do I find out what it is, there's somebody in your company who makes reports to the uh, Commerce Department about your economic activity. That's where you look to find the NAICS code that is typically applied to your facility. So. David, as you know, one of the problems OSHA had when they promulgated this rule is they required all of these people we just discussed to upload their data to uh, an OSHA data portal, uh, and the portal wasn't working for quite some time. I don't think that they thought through how complex, complex the logistics were of getting this system up together. Yeah, if you remember, Manish, they started and uh, they announced that they were going to do this about the time that the computer portals were being opened for the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, the Obamacare, and there was quite a bit of problems at that time with the uh, portals that were announced. And so there was a question about whether or not OSHA was going to be able to do a better job of getting these, the uh, portal up and running. And that led to some of the comments about the whole idea of the electronic submissions and what they were going to do with the data. But we can see here that the, the system is up and running. Uh, there have been a significant number of people that have submitted the data. Uh, uh, it says oh, more than a third failed to submit reports. That one third represents the 350,000 that OSHA uh, uh, estimated would have to file the, those reports. But as we talked earlier today, uh, establishments do come and go. Uh, OSHA I may have gotten that list from a Commerce Department uh, database uh, that would have given the, them the estimate of establishments meeting certain criteria, including the number of employees and the NAICS code that they were in. And so that's probably where that number came from. I don't know that for a fact, but that's my guess. So it, it's entirely possible that the actual number of people who should have submitted is different from the 350,000 we see there, but they did get 214,000, which does suggest that there's a significant number of uh, employer employers who have not uh, submitted the data yet and who may be susceptible to inspection and citation as a result. So the first development that we ought to talk about, David, is the enforcement memorandum that OSHA just uh, published. And I think it's interesting because it essentially talks about the circumstances under which OSHA will uh, issue citations under 
this new rule for failure to meet this requirement. And it came out uh, maybe less than 30 days ago, and essentially what they said was uh, during inspections, the Compliance Safety and Health Officer will look for compliance with this, uh, these requirements, and they'll issue citations under certain circumstances. Uh, but it will be based on the Compliance, Safety, and Health Officer's judgment as to the employer's efforts to comply. So they created a little carve-out where maybe the classification of the citation would be reduced from serious to non-serious if the employer had made attempts to, to comply with the rule but was unable to work through the, uh, the system. Uh, but essentially, uh, OSHA issued this memorandum to regional administrators and said, if you find instances of failure, I said about 30 days ago, but it was actually at the end of February, uh, but, but essentially they said, if you find failures in compliance, keep an eye out, first of all, for those missing third of all employers, that missing 125,000, I think is basically what they're saying, uh, that they believe to be out there somewhere. And David, as you note, that, that may not actually be the case. Yeah. I actually, Monish, I think that's probably one of the most important points here, is that there is this database out there they're supposed to check it to see if employers uh, are required to submit records but fail to do so. And my guess is uh, if that uh, employer is on the programmed inspection list, that means that they're going to be inspected without a doubt. Now, it, you, you may not know if you're on that inspection list, uh, the registry, but um, if you meet a certain size and you had a certain uh, injury or illness rate, in this would be 2015 data, I believe they're still using. Uh, you might, you would have ended up on that um, list, and the uh, compliance officers now are going to check to see if you filed the records. So, uh, one of the things that people should do as soon as they get off the phone here today is uh, make a note to go back and check and make sure that these records were filed if you're covered by the uh, requirements. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the first step is to find out. Uh, how you define your establishment, and then what, whether you meet the 20 to 249 or 250 and above per establishment, and then to determine if you've met those, have you filed right. electronically? I think right. that's exactly right, David. And, uh, and, and, and if the Compliance Safety and Health Officer comes in and conducts an inspection, David, I think that it's reasonable to expect that some of the questions he's going to be asking go to exactly that question. It's always, the, it's always the first question, well, I should say. The, Inspection of the medic of the injury and illness records is almost always the very first thing that they do when they come through the door anyway. That's right. So it's going to get checked. Whether or not you're in the category that needs to be uh, filing these is going to be a determination they'll make subsequent to that, but definitely they'll be checking. Right, but the questions they'll be asking is how many employees do you have at this establishment, what's the highest number you've had in the past year, and what's your NICS code? Correct. And, uh, and then, of course, as you say, the first thing we'll be doing is looking at your injury on this record-keeping logs. So, so one of the other things that they talked about was uh, instances where the employer has, the compliance safety and health officer believes that there's a failure to have electronically submitted. And essentially, if there was a failure and the employer can prove that they attempted to submit the records but was unable, were unable to do so and can verify this with any kind of documentation, then, then the Compliance Safety and Health Officer is directed under this memorandum to issue a citation but reduce it to other than serious, and it may impact whether or not a penalty is issued, uh, especially if the employer had failed in 2016 to upload data, but had successfully done so in 2017. Yeah, that's that's uh, if they have 
submitted data and, and there are issues with it. In the first instance, if they've tried and failed because they've had problems with the OSHA system, they're not going to issue a citation, and that's understandable. But you'll notice, this, the, Monish, they're talking here about having a full record-keeping audit, audit where there's evidence of potential systemic issues. That means they're going to be comparing the first aid log or any records they have of reports of injury that go to the employer that don't end up on the OSHA 300. And the discrepancy there is going to be if it's something that the compliance officer believes should have been recorded and there's a, a repeated failure to record that type of uh, uh, injury or illness, that's going to lead to a full audit where they look at nearly everything that you have on the topic in that particular establishment. Right, and if they believe it's systemic and that this is a corporate-wide problem, they'll be asking questions to determine that. Correct. And OSHA, as we know and have covered in the OSHA 3030, is always looking for ways to uh, expand investigations to corporate-wide investigations if, if necessary or if it believes it's necessary. So essentially, David, you're quite right to clarify this. If the employer can prove that its failure was because it attempted to upload data but could not use the system effectively and has proof of that, the Compliance Safety and Health Officer may decide not to issue a citation. If the employer failed to submit but can immediately uh, abate by providing a paper copy, the COSHO may issue an other than serious with no penalty. Same if the employer had failed to submit in 2016 but properly submitted in 2017. Uh, but the memorandum also suggests that if the employer doesn't produce the records, uh, that another than serious citation could be issued with an appropriate penalty. And the penalty for the other than serious is the same as for the serious, potentially. It's the same. Well, the serious same citations could be higher. But uh, in, in this particular case, the thing to remember is that there is a separate requirement in the regulations for the employer to produce these records within a certain period of time, and I, I believe it's uh, four hours now in the regulation. And so this is really uh, reinforcing the requirement that it already exists. The difference now is you're, it's the inspections being uh, instigated in a way by the fact that we've got this electronic reporting requirement now. Right, right. So. It's, it's before the compliance safety officer leaves the premise or four hours. I think that's right, and that's a pretty severe time limit for that's unique to the record-keeping rule. So, so the next issue that I think is interesting is this press release that they had issued about uh, the state plan states. One of the problems that OSHA is experiencing right now with the electronic uploading is that not all the states have implemented the state plan equivalent yet. And that's relatively slow when you compare it to the uptake of some of the other standards out there. Yeah, I think, Monish, it's a result of the those states that actually go through and adopt their own version of the standards have a different process to go through. But a majority of the states already uh, have implemented the rule because they simply adopt whatever OSHA puts out in front of us. So uh, there, is a, there is a statutory provision in the OSHA Act itself that says the state plan state is only can only be approved if uh, the state plan has a requirement that reports to the Department of Labor that would be required if there were no state plan state were part of the state plan program. So it, nobody in any of the state plans is going to get away from having to file these uh, reports. There may be some time before full enforcement is done. 
certainly there's a low risk of, be, of enforcement in most of these circumstances. But in the end, uh, event, the eventuality is that everybody's going to have to deal with this. Uh, we just got a question here, Manish, uh, asking about the penalty structure applies in non-jurisdiction states like California. Each state has its own uh, enforcement uh, policies. Um, it may very well that they follow the federal uh, enforcement policy, but they don't have to. And they could go on um, down their own path in terms of enforcement. Um, I would, ex in my experience, you would I would be very surprised to see a state take a different enforcement tack for something like record keeping, uh, uh, particularly for this electronic record keeping, which is really a requirement to file the records with the federal agency. So I think that's probably unlikely. So I think there's some uh, controversy, David, that's out there. Maybe some folks out there are, are suggesting uh, that employers in state plan states don't need to worry about this right now right. if they're in a state that hasn't promulgated the rule yet. And I think that that would be uh, extremely aggressive uh, posture to take. And I think it's uh, a great deal of risk that's unnecessary at yeah. this stage. I think I think our position would be we wouldn't tell a client to do that. Um, while some people think that there is uh, a prohibition or an inability of OSHA to issue a citation in a state plan state that has not adopted the, the standard yet, uh, we think actually on closer examination that there's at least a a colorable argument that OSHA does have the authority to do that. And we would recommend that you shouldn't want to become a test case for something like that. So in regard to the question we just got, will Fed OSHA attempt to enforce in California? I think it's doubtful. Um, I think we'll, we'll expect California to move fairly promptly to get their house in order out there and uh, to, quote, encourage, unquote, employers to comply with the standard. Right. And one thing that's clear in OSHA's press release is they believe uh, that the, the employer employers in state plan states that haven't yet adopted this rule must comply. Correct. Uh, even if the state plan state hasn't adopted the rule yet. So, so with that said, I think the next thing we want to talk about is OSHA has announced has published its regulatory agenda for the spring of 2018 and uh, has suggested that it will publish a notice of proposed rulemaking that will revise slightly the contours of this electronic uh, uploading of, of record-keeping data. One of the things that they expect to examine in the notice of proposed rulemaking is the possibility of eliminating the requirement that employers with 250 or more employees must submit both the 300 log and the uh, data and the 300, uh, Form 301 uh, incident report data. Uh, that there there may be a redundancy there that's unnecessary, and uh, in addition, it's also hinted that it may eliminate its stated intent to publicly make available this report self-reported data uh, on a website. I think that might be a huge development because it tr created a tremendous amount of concern for the employer community. Practically speaking, I think it was a concern for the agency as well that maybe they might inadvertently uh, publish confidential or personally uh, sensitive information, private information. And so I think based on that, they, they felt like the more prudent approach was to eliminate the public publication of this data altogether. We'll see. That's just going to be a notice of proposed rulemaking, and they've merely announced their intention to publish that in yeah, July of 2018. Well, and we should expect to see it in July because uh, it was just 
uh, announced today on the OMB website that it has been, the proposed rule has been sent to OMB for their review, which is the predicate before OSHA finally yeah. publishes it. Usually now, the last step. Right. And it could, it could take a while before that gets done. OMB t uh, normally would have 90 days to do it, but they don't have to take the full period of time. They could release it uh, sooner. That could be an interesting change and uh, a real interesting rulemaking coming up this summer. So stay tuned. The last thing we ought to talk about, David, what employers should do in light of this development. Uh, we've got a question here we probably should answer, which is whether employers are going to be required to submit all data by July 1st. The answer is no. OSHA has decided that they're not going to require the 300 or the 301 data to be submitted by July 1st. They've already said that. So watch for the proposed rule. It may come out uh, before July 1st uh, because of that question. So uh, you, uh, people need to, do need to pay close attention to what's going on there right now. So let's talk about practical information, uh, practical takeaway items. I think the first thing, David, that we can talk about, employers, when they're uploading data onto the ITA, the, uh, the data portal, they should keep records of all their submissions. We have one uh, client who has thousands of establishments around the country, and they've had to upload data for each and every uh, establishment that meets these criteria. And they've kept records on every single one of them to prove that they either successfully uploaded or attempted to. Interestingly, the ITA does not issue an automated email that I'm aware of that's sent to your inbox that says, this is your proof, uh, keep this in your records, like you would when you purchase anything online. Uh, the best you can do is uh, get a screenshot of that last screen that confirms that you successfully uploaded it. Uh, and so that, I think, needs to be recorded for every single establishment that you upload data for. Uh, the next thing I'd suggest is if you are having issues using the ITA portal and uh, you're unable to upload your data in compliance with the rule, that you make sure you reach out to the help desk or someone else at your area office or field office for OSHA in order to, and preserve those communications in order to preserve the record that you did your best to notify them that you're having trouble uploading the data. Uh, clearly, that's the safe haven that OSHA has already acknowledged uh, as, as something that will impact their enforcement decisions. Uh, and then for those of you in state plan states, I think you've got to make sure you know whether or not your state has already promulgated a state plan rule that's the equivalent of this. Uh, and then finally, this summer, make sure you stay tuned to OSHA's uh, proposed rule to revise this uh, rule and, and see where it goes. And if you're part of an association, industry association, uh, or a professional group, make sure you participate in the rulemaking process and that your industry's views are known to the agency when they issue that proposed rulemaking notice. Monish, I want to add one thing to, about the whole notion of who is covered by this. We, we just got a note here from one of our participants who's uh, pointing out that there is a there are some links on the ITA website that take you to a list of establishments. Even those employers with more than 250 employees don't have to file. I, I suspect that is true, but I, that generally would be those employers who are not subject to the uh, injury and illness recording rule. There are some industries where the uh, the category categorically OSHA's decided they don't have an, uh, a hazard profile that requires them to keep the injury and illness records, so they are excluded from the process yeah. entirely. Offices, corporate headquarters are not subject to Section 1904 at all. That's right. And thus, not subject to the electronic That's uploading. Right. That's right. And then the last question there is about what about employers in those state plan states? Who do they reach out to if they have trouble? 
go to the federal agency. It's the federal agency that's operating this. They can call the local area office. There are OSHA area offices in every state. Uh, if, if that doesn't work for you, you can reach the regional office or you can call the national office in Washington. The other thing I'd say, David, is it's really critical to conduct annual audits of your record-keeping program because, as you said, that's the first thing that the compliance officer is going to look for. And you have to do this annually and do look-back audits because there are so many cases that need to be updated. For right. example, the lost days that translate over December 31st into the new year, Correct. Uh, those that hit 180 days. Correct. Uh, comparisons between your Form 300 data and data coming back from your workers' comp uh, that might uh, reveal mismatches. And so these audits are critical. Uh, there are a host of uh, tools that safety and health professionals use to conduct audits. Uh, the Employment Labor uh, employment Law and Labor Law Audit, ELLA, is one of them. David Savati, as you know, we've developed an OSHA audit for our clients. It's a fairly comprehensive audit. Uh, there are others, but most critical, you've got to start with your record keeping because that not only is the first place the compliance officer will look, but it's also supposed to provide data that's revealing about other elements of your safety and health compliance program. Great point, Manish. So with that said, that's uh, finally I get the last word on the OSHA 3030. Uh, I've usually handed that last word privilege to my co-speakers. Uh, and that's, that's today's OSHA 3030. You can find our OSHA 3030, this particular episode, on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA3030 in about a day or two. It'll be uploaded. It'll be uh, published as a podcast on your favorite, and if you subscribe, it'll just automatically appear there, probably by the end of today, but certainly by early tomorrow. It'll be available on your phone as a podcast. I listen to these while driving. Uh, and we also provide updated information on all of our LinkedIn pages, Manish Rath, David Cervati, Larry Halperin, Chavane Nakumaram, and others have each their own uh, LinkedIn page, as well as our practice groups, Cohen Heckman Workplace Safety and Health page. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Rathmanish. And our next OSHA 3030 will be, is already scheduled. It will be on June 20th. Always on a Wednesday, always at 1 p.m. And you'll get that email uh, inviting you and to register. And when you do, don't forget to forward it on to three other people within the profession at your organization or at others. Uh, don't forget that we also have uh, sister programs for those organizations that are responsible for compliance with TSCA or FIFRA. The next TSCA 3030 will be held on June 13th. Uh, that's a Wednesday, and uh, that's at 1 p.m. And the next FIFRA 3030 will be published on a date yet to be determined, also at uh, 1 p.m., typically on a Wednesday. So stay tuned to those. Subscribe to those uh, and ask to get those emails announcing those programs so that you can stay on top of those as well. Uh, those two other great programs done elsewhere at Keller and Heckman. Uh, on behalf of David Savati, David, thank you very much for participating. Thank you, Mark. And on behalf of David Savati, Keller and Heckman, uh, and myself, I'm grateful to all of you for participating in yet another episode of the OSHA 3030. A survey will come up in a moment, and we'll see you again in one month. Until then, stay safe.